0: I think a lot about discourse these days, how communication happens, and when there's good communication, you build community. That's what the, the, it's no accident; those two words have the same root. Um, you're communing. Welcome to the Road Home podcast with Ethan Nickturn. Join Ethan as he and his guests explore the Buddhist path as it relates to art, culture, activism, politics, Western psychology, and more. If you'd like to support Ethan's podcast, please visit network.com forward slash Ethan.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Ethan McTurn for the Road Home Podcast, and, uh, Decided to have a a repeat guest. Um, The Better Podcasts have repeat guests all the time. So even though it feels uh, slightly lazy in terms of uh, inviting people, it also feels just like we get to continue conversations. And uh, what is a podcast anyway, except just kind of listening to other people talk about stuff so you don't have to be alone with yourself uh, (laughs) while you're going through your day. So I invited uh, David Turn. My father back onto the podcast. Um, and uh always great to talk to David. Uh if I can keep him on topic, things go pretty well. If I cannot keep him on topic, things go very well. Um, but I still try regardless. Uh David, how are you?
0: Well, you know, I am excellent at the moment because the illusion I'm currently uh working with is being in Maui for the Ramdas uh and Krishnadas minus Ramdas retreat uh, with dear old friends regathering some great music right on the beach. So the illusion is good right at the moment. Yeah, if
1: if Ramdas was there, it would definitely be an illusion, right? Or
0: well, uh, that's interesting, and he's he's worth a good mention as being. Uh, when I said mention, I thought of mensch, which is too small a word to describe what he is, but it is part of what he he is. He was so caring for people here. Yeah. He was so generous and so kind and so um accommodating. Really um it, it was a model for somebody really making themselves available in a Bodhisattva kind of way. So just hats off um to 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 Ramdas and uh, uh and and thanking him for creating this legacy which which we can continue on gathering as a community together. So it's a very very um very nice thing to do after coming out of, the, or sort of coming out of the pandemic, you know. Yeah, and and
1: also his his great foundation and the, the sort of resources of the work that he harvested also, sponsor the Be Here Now network sponsor, you know this podcast. So so lots of reasons to, uh, be thankful for him his presence and uh, example.
0: And also the the you know, Raghu and KD and the whole team at at Be Here Now. Um too numerous to mention, but um thanking them for sponsoring yours and my podcast so um that that's um that gave us a nice platform to 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 work with and I think the general spirit of it is pretty positive in terms of trying to trying to get some kind of good message out to people or sometimes um you know at least trying to be supportive and helpful to people who who are in in some kind of spiritual journey,
1: yeah yeah. So if you could, can you tell me how you are and uh, distinct from the fact that you get to be in Maui and I'm back in Brooklyn and it's, you know, (laughs) 41 degrees and gray here (laughs) and the the sun is setting because it's 430.
0: Well, so I'll I'll give a koan to the audience. When it's neither too hot nor too cold, what is it?
1: And for how long? <laughs> uh, it's San Francisco. It's the Bay Area. I mean, no. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh,
0: you know, you the, the beauty of our practice, Ethan, is as as you've been iterating your wonderful Monday night uh, and soon to be Monday and Tuesday night classes, a year long Buddhist studies course, is how weaving in noticing, like last night at your class, I noticed. Weaving in noticing our own mind as part of the equation that's going on and being able to to um kind of from that position so we don't just simply take our projections to be reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so how, how do you ask o- me though? You asked me other than that, how am I that's right, what I'm right. saying is the flickering that I experience only minimally has to do with what's going on outside right so
1: how is how is your mind how's your relationship to your mind
0: well it's really a good fair and it's a fair question because um you know i remember um there's a, a particular teacher who i won't specifically mention but it was a zen student and he said after 30 years he asked the older guys and girls you know what what have you accomplished with those 30 years of this intensive practice? And one of them said to him, well, eh, not much, you know, just maybe a little calmer, a little more equanimity, equanimity, a little more kind. And the way he took that information was, oh, okay, well, this is not a good track because <laughs> after 30 years, that's all this person can say. Uh, I took it differently, even when the person was telling the story. Um, so I think, um, you know, my mind is, I'm going to, go on record as saying it's workable but probably no less dramatic than it ever was you know it's it's a, it's a it's a comedy writer it's a it's a tragedy writer and it's also writes musical comedy
1: right yeah well at least at least you have made a skill out of it right
0: <laughs> yeah well that's interesting with aren't, aren't we the only species that narrates our existence do
1: you think that's true uh well we're the only species that speaks in a language that we can um no i mean i live with two cats now and uh one is very chill his name is arlo the other seems like a uh nervous old jew in a in a cute black cat's body um (laughs) it it seems like he's been through some trauma earlier and just kind of nervous and yeah um, uh uh they don't seem to be narrating, but they, they do seem to be watching and observing. And you do wonder if there's discursive thought or storyline or yeah. meta analysis going on, because there's definitely a lot in there. I'm not sure, but they can't. Yeah. They don't have the language to express their narration I mean, to
0: us. We, a lot of what you talked about, really, um, in terms of uh, your, your class classes, night, which I, I, I loved and I listened to, was on Dharma and politics. A lot of it is what kind of narratives we're creating, and also the tone, the mood ring of it. Um, like, and the fact that recognizing that we're basically using our imagination so intensively to just right. walk down the street. You know, uh, you, you know, my book "Awakening from the Daydream" that that realization that we're just daydreaming all the time. Yeah, and and you never even see an awakened being, really. It's you see flickers of awakening. You see people who have some relationship to some kind of you know presence, but most of the time we're really as as you've what did you call it in your book? You said
1: um, samsara,
0: what you, tourists or something like that.
1: Yeah, it talked about the sort of the notion of of a samsaric being in Tibetan being drowa, which literally means like always on the go, right? right. So yeah, the, the wandering sort of to- just the n- wanderer, the tourist, yeah, like the person never- who can't never land
0: at home. at home yeah yeah that's such a i mean i hope that's a good way for people to think about these things there there isn't in my mind yet a lot of clarity around this topic uh, amongst people who decide they want to meditate mainly so that they can achieve more uh, kind of relaxed or better sleep or something like that the, actually the texture of their mind being something that is um uh interesting in itself and workable in itself and even maybe challenging to work with and and, and the more challenging it gets, doesn't mean you're rowing in the wrong direction right you know which is i think a big uh you know thing to 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 it's a provocative thing to introduce into the combo
1: yeah yeah i mean you might not see fully enlightened beings although you know you could definitely look at that as a, a broad spectrum but I do think we're living in a time, and this is why I you know you hear me speak out against false equivalents a lot, where there are there seem to be a lot of one varying degrees of worldviews that are based on care for others versus individualism right and and sort of that seems there, there's a real difference there, and I would say there's a general relationship between awareness of interdependence and care for others and, and being closer to the awakened kind of compassion. um, And, and I do think we're living in a time where there's almost these backlashes against kind of, uh, you know, even viewing the world that way, like that, that, that that's considered unrealistic or even somehow harmful. Yeah. And, harmful. is it, That's mind blowing. Isn't it? that it's considered harmful? Yeah. I mean, but, if you look at some of the theories that our world are are based on, like if you buy into certain views of karma or cause and effect, you could get arrive at the view. Like if you believe that everybody just creates their own situation, a hundred percent, you would actually come to feel that helping another person or helping a group of people would be almost um, stopping them from having the opportunity To help themselves, you know, (laughs) and you can actually bend your mind into situations where you say, well, I don't, I can't give this person food or, Mm -hmm. or, or my ear or give them health care because it's going to hurt them if somebody else is helping them, you know?
0: Yeah, I I think that is almost Darwinian. I don't know if that's the right word. I think you probably have a better word for it, but it's like survival of the fittest. And so the best compassionate thing you can do is
1: train somebody to be the fittest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- and, but, right. And to convince yourself that, that not only to convince yourself that that's the way of the world, but that somehow that's com- compassion. You know, yeah, I think, yeah. I think the righteousness of that perspective goes really far. But I think we're talking about something else when we talk about kind of narrating our own experience from the standpoint of storyline. I would say there's people who, we, we all have that narration and like you, you know, um, uh, I have a narrator, um, let's call him Phil. No, I don't, I don't know what my narrator's <laughs> name would be. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say that the practice has made me, sometimes you need a counter example of this, where you see people who Whatever information they receive from other beings, whatever information they receive from the world, it is instantly fed into and co-opted by, by the internal script writer, you know, like very quickly. Like there's not a curiosity about like, oh, what's going on here? Or I didn't expect mm-hmm. that to happen, or this is mm-hmm. a new experience, or this is a new person, you know, mm-hmm. or a new mm-hmm. being and some people have that narrator going on but are a little bit more you know maybe we would use the term available to to being surprised out of their narrative a little bit yeah
0: yeah and of course if 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 we're doing what we talk about doing we should be happy when we're surprised mm-hmm. and and overturned you know it's interesting the whole notion of debate um which used to be part of the Buddhist tradition. I don't know if it is anymore, really. I'm not sure where. I guess still in the Gilukpa Buddhist uh, tradition, they train that way and some others, they have it. Um, it might be interesting to instig- instigate a Dharma moon. What do you think we could have debates, uh, some kind of Dharma moon debates to, to contrast different perspectives, different points of views. And then at the end, you know, at the end, it's not a question of winning uh, the
1: debate, but learning from each other. Yeah, and you would ask each person like, "What did you learn from the other?" Like that—that that would be the the finality of it, you know.
0: Well, in the old days, the loser had to go
1: study with the winner. <laughs> that was the, that was the punishment. Well, but my understanding in the in the Shedra style of debate is they would do this like clapping, right, with one hand atop the other, and almost like moving past the other in a like, "Give me some skin," like nineteen fifties. <laughs> hipster style high five, you know, from like, uh, uh, stand by me, you know, the, the, the river Phoenix and stand by (laughs) me, like, give me some skin. Uh, but that, that sliding, that slapping of the hands, which feels very violent. Like when you make the point in the, Mm -hmm. in the monastic debate in the Tibetan system, the, the, um, it would actually be a lifting up of the hand and then a slapping Mm -hmm. and, and that, what that would represent is, Basically a sense of like, if my views have been clear, may I have lifted beings out of the lower realms and then shut the door so that beings do not fall into those lower states of confusion.
0: Oh, oh, that's the symbolism of that mudra? That's
1: what I heard from, I I can't remember if I heard that from Bob Thurman or another scholar, you know, adept scholar in that particular debate uh, tradition. Other than that, I've just seen videos (laughs) of the young monks doing it, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the whole notion
0: of um, discourse, I know you're thinking about community. I think a lot about discourse these days, how communication happens. And when there's good communication, you build community. That's what it's no accident. Those two words have the same root. Um, You're communing. So how rare it is that good communication is happening these days is, I don't know, maybe it was always that way. Is it possible it was always that way? It just seems really, really loud, the, the discourse. The discord seems yeah. very loud, strident right now, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think if you look in the larger world, I I wouldn't say... um you know i wouldn't say it's necessarily i you know the media talks a lot about polarization you know and people talking past each other which isn't really what's happening to my mind you know we, because when people can talk to each other i think that actually happens more it's i i think is that we have fewer and fewer arenas and practices for people actually talking to each other in a manner where power is not an obvious dynamic, you know? So one, when you talk about receiving the news, right? I mean, that's really a one-way street, you know, the news, you could say, well, there's different, you know, editors and journalists making decisions, which is true, but they're not like, for example, they're not asking what we think the important issues are, you know, like, like um nobody asked the american people if they wanted them to cover um the the death of queen elizabeth you know but the news just decided i thought this was the most fascinating example of, like am i am i like tripping right now because literally the entire news media in a country that was founded on rejecting that particular royal family is now being yeah. told by the storytellers to mourn. Yeah. You know, not that I'm not, not that I'm, didn't yeah. feel a sense of, you know, I'm not a monarchist, but right. like it seemed like Queen Elizabeth was a pretty decent human and, and yeah, there's a mourning, but like there wasn't a lot of conversation about some of us being like, it was like, what do you think about this? Oh, Americans mm-hmm. are very sad about this. And it's like, we didn't choose that conversation, you yeah. know. Sure and then the other places we choose conversation are online social media and those are kind of expressly designed not to be conversation spaces right because it's really hard to insert advertising into a true conversation space you know like it's you you the algorithm has to function as sort of like capturing attention getting these sparks of spicy moments to happen and then and then sliding let let me sell you something into it you know and
0: you know what that made me think of right away is the ads which i'm surprised they haven't done this on saturday night live or something like that a a parody of the ads for pharmaceuticals yeah where they show these kind of goofy happy people like it, it you know, who have like kind of serious colon colonitis or whatever they have. You know, like they have nosebleeds, their 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 brains are turning into oatmeal. And yet they're like on these pills and they look very happy. And then at the end of it, this voice comes on and goes, tells you all the downsides of it, as if nobody's listening to that. Yeah, yeah this if if you have this symptom, you have to rush to the hospital, you know. And it's just like almost that encapsulates both both sides of the of the kind of Promise and the sheer samsaric dimension of of our culture. Yeah, those ads and and the fact that nobody's looking at the cause. Of, of any of those things uh, in, in a causal way, but here's a pill you can take. And not only that, the pill has really got a lot of harmful effects. And so we, we, by law, somebody goofed up and we have to tell them to you, but we'll pretend we're
1: just sort of <laughs> chanting or something like that.
0: You yeah, know? yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. I think, I think they did that back in the day. I think Saturday Night Live did that with a product called the Happy Fun Ball or Super Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> no, they did. <laughs> where it was just like a ball and then, kids playing with the ball, having fun. And then like the pharmaceutical, like, um, uh, you know, admonition or warning voice came in. It's like yeah. super happy fun ball should not be played with in direct sunlight. You know, do not taunt super happy fun <laughs> ball. Like it was just this list of like things not to oh, do. They did it already. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was called super. I'm going to have to go back to YouTube to, right. um uh, mm. that's, that's how I know I'm aging. I can't remember old Saturday Night Live skits anymore. Um. <laughs> never mind people's names. I used to be friends with. Um. I have no good news in that regard. Either. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. just going to pl- play more. Just pseudo-cue. gets.
0: Just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> Although I saw a hand exercise that you can do on on uh, on Instagram that supposedly helps your neuroplasticity. Um, work. Oh, cool. But, but yeah. um, you know, you, you can. That's an interesting topic. Actually, is since we're talking about mind. You know the part of your mind that, that is ca- kind of the organ recital part of the mind, which is called the brain, um, is uh, quite quite interesting to correlate the brain and the mind, isn't it? I mean, you know, Buddhists have started doing that in the last thirty years or so, maybe, right? Yeah. Brain, brain and mind. What what's the difference? What do they have in common? What's the overlay? What do you think
1: about brain and mind? What would you say if somebody said, "All right, I wanna." We can loop out to this. I want to get back to this question of communication and conversation and community. But, um, you know, the, I would say the place we experience the mind most directly is the brain. Although, you know, I, I think from a somatic standpoint, the mind would be diffused throughout our physical experience and, and would be anchored in all of the uh, sense perceptions, you know, including brain function, thought, etc. cetera. Um, but the the brain would be part of the body from a Buddhist standpoint, you know, which, which the mind ex- experiences itself, but there's no, in Western science, there's no real um, room for the idea of consciousness, you know, and they the, the scientific materialists are pretty lazy and reductionist on this front. They just say, well, we can't, we can't find mind by looking right. at the physical experience, even though the whole definition, you know, it's like it's basically like saying I can't find Toronto in Denver. You know, it's like that it's defined. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not defined as being an experience that's reducible to physical, although our experience of it runs through our completely through our physical uh sense of embodiment, right? So so brain would be material, it's it's body. Um, But it's the part that links the most um, uh, directly to our sense of thought, cognition, uh, consciousness.
0: Well, of course, when you get to be, I'm going to be 75 in three months, I don't know if you thought about that, but it, it, what, it crept, what, crept up on me what do you want to what do you want to do for your birthday well, we, we should do something just to n- take note of it but i haven't i haven't really tuned what do you it.
1: want listeners to do for your birthday <laughs> practice <laughs> okay <great. laughs> okay if you're out there and
0: you're listening and you have a spiritual journey going on actually do the practice that would be that's and that and and, and just uh send me your daily record of your practice for
1: a birthday person. So in February of 2023, for a 75th birthday, David would like everybody listening to email him uh, uh, a, a, a JPEG of, right. yeah, or, or a JPEG <laughs> of yourself meditating.
0: Yeah, well, that'd be amazing. And, you know, not that uh, different people think meditation is some kind of, uh, you know, key uh, thing to do that will help the whole situation and people have their different perspectives on it uh i know some people who think it's complete bypass you know some of my friends mm-hmm. in la i was just in la they, they
1: wait, wait, be the wait, wait 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 let's say let's say this again some of my friends in los angeles yeah which some would say is an entire region of america founded on bypassing discomfort um uh w- would say that meditation practice is a bypass yeah, I guess I get, I get,
0: in the sense that they might be more into, you know, psychology or, you know, some, some kind of, you know, more Western style of like actually getting into
1: into your stuff, you know. Um, Even and, though and, you know, many, many Western psychologists are advocates of meditation, like that doesn't feel like an either or to me. Well, yeah,
0: these days, that's true. That's true. I think it's more so than it used to be. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. It's just um, – at, at i was going to say at 75 approaching 75 i do sort of contemplate um you know what could be variations that could happen to my consciousness through the process of aging that i may not be able to meditate my way through and you know talking about ramdas a perfect example here at maui had a stroke you know and it changed mm-hmm. his whole way of communicating his whole way of perceiving, and. Um, and also it was sort of a roadmap a little bit. He said, I'm a guy, I'm a, I'm a scout for the rest of you. Cause he went, you know, he was older. So he went down that, that road, right. but you know, watching a guy as loquacious as that. And, uh, you know, who also knows what loquacious means get to the point where literally uttering a word or two, like right. by the end, he's saying, he would just chant. I am loving awareness. Right you know, and there was no more of that kind of like very articulated, highly uh, loqu- loquacious, loqu- loquacity, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, so, but one thinks, well, okay, you know, this could uh, easily happen to me. You know, as, as you know, my father, your grandfather had Parkinson's disease that completely on a dime changed his whole way of being around. And, uh, you know, it's something you think about more, you know, obviously as Buddhists, we are trained to think about it early. You're supposed to get the early warning uh, on aging and old age, sickness and death. Right. And, but, but then it actually happens to you. And then you take it kind of probably a little bit more. Um, it, it, it becomes, it begins to become a little more of a personal direct contemplation about what's going to happen to me, you know, to myself, uh, such as it is. And, um you know, I, I notice uh, people go. Maybe at this age, they start going up or down a little bit. They also get tired of living. They're bored with the whole thing. They, but they've seen a lot of stuff. You know, it's just oh that again. Um, you know, C- they cynical. They're cynical, but also dried up. So you know, I do the qigong practice and I do the meditation to stay moist. I mean, if I really was going to give a definition of my practice, at this point it's to stay moist, lubricated. What about what about right?
1: body lotion?
0: <laughs> well uh, we won't get into that here because that's too personal to <laughs> <No. laughs>
1: keep your skin moist so you don't dry up and crack you know what yeah.
0: I'm What father and son talk to each other like this so, so basically
1: else? like <laughs> i actually uh my best friend from college jeff who's a filmmaker in in los angeles actually so i have friends who aren't bypassing in their great city of Los Angeles. So, so no need to diss that. Um, uh, but he did a whole commentary on how uncomfortable it was, uh, in a meeting, uh, some, some meeting, and this was during the me too movement. Somehow the word moist came up in a, in a, uh, group meeting and and how uncomfortable just that word was to be uttered in space. So, um, but it, but it is a word, you know, you, you want your... Well, and
0: there's a lot of words these days that you just kind of put back into the dictionary they came out of. It's, you know, and you and I are both writers and poets and songwriters. Just, and we're looking for those cool yeah. juxtapositions of phrasing. But I think twice a lot these days before I open my big mouth.
1: <laughs> well, I love a, I love a croissant. And if my croissant's too dry or if a person gets too dry, right? Yeah. So- so you're talking about just kind of staying loose and well, supple in, with life.
0: Yeah, and and in, in in qigong, it probably almost wouldn't be inaccurate to say that the qi has element. It has elements of air uh, and energy, but there's some kind of water. Like you know, uh, Bruce Lee saying "be like water" is more than just a mental attitude. Um, so just just relating to the fluidity of of mind, the fluidity of body. You know, noticing as you age, you tend to sag a little bit. So, you know, you, you can you can raise that back up. Um, you know, I happen to I happen to study with a teacher, Sat Han, who is saying the natural lifespan of human beings, one hundred twenty five. That's a natural. That's what we're supposed to live to. And then there are examples of people who live well, well, well beyond that. Uh, now, that's not my target particularly, but um, at the same time, if I'm helpful, useful if I'm being creative and, um, have, have, um, and I can sort of continue to contribute, then you go, well, then it takes, it makes good sense to,
1: to stay moist for as long as you can. Yeah. Um, well, an interesting question that, that middle path between health and longevity and at the same time wanting to, Mm. um, you know, practice letting go, you know, because that there's exactly there there's a lot of people wishing they could live forever and maybe doing um yeah. kind of on un- from the, the spectrum of unhealthy to insane, you know, yeah. The 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 blood infusions from younger, healthier people seeming to be yeah. to me on the insane end of the spectrum because you're actually it, it feels vampirical, you know, yeah. to actually take so yeah, that's an interesting dharma conversation about keeping oneself healthy, and at the same time, I just started reading Pema Chodron's, you know, "How We Live Is How We Die," which is her new book on the. Oh yeah, Six mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's Pema. She's and it's great yeah. that she's kind of tackling, you know, classic, difficult, you know, life and death uh, materials. So um, well, she's uh, well into her eighties at this point, right? Yeah, but she seems. Um, I'll, I'll find a different word because I don't want okay. to call them a children moist, but <laughs> she seems uh, supple. You know,
0: yeah, that's great. And of course, um, you know, I don't know if people know this, but I don't even know if she knows this. I I did get try to get the word through, it, but we built our Dharma Moon hundred uh, mindful, hour mindfulness meditation teacher training program on okay. one chapter of one of her books is is completely seminal to it, which is the one. In wisdom of no escape, on gentleness, precision, and letting go, those three are the tripod of Dharma Moon teaching altogether. And you just can you can use them against each other as counterpoint. You can synchronize them up. Um, if you're too precise and not gentle enough, that's a certain kind of thing. If you're too gentle but not precise enough, that's a certain kind of thing. If you're gentle and precise, but there's a sense of holding tight to that formula you know so those three to me are are really uh, seminal and i i I'll just take this opportunity to thank pema for you know kind of putting her experience out there in a very organic way and therefore touching a lot of hearts a lot of minds uh, and continuing to do that so just um you know uh definitely appreciate appreciate um the amount of work that she's put into preserving the dharma and particularly uh, the Dharma of, of Trungpa Rinpoche.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Pema. There um, you go. Wherever uh, you are. Yeah. She's somewhere. She's somewhere on this earth. Do you ever think yeah. that's weird? That like, unless somebody's dead, they're here? You know, those are really, <laughs> the only two Like, like, <laughs> yes. those are only your two. You're either gone or you're Unless somewhere in the same greater. physical space,
0: oh, that's just perfect. Unless somebody's dead, they're here. Is it a country song? Is it <laughs> what kind of song is it? Um, yeah. Unless somebody's dead, they're here. Well, or where are they? Even when they are here, it's it's a funny thing because we keep thinking about people even when they're not here. I think about you all the time, obviously, uh, and you're not here all the time. And then we're when we are here together. It's more intense, right? It's a little bit like a, a notch up in the thing, which is brings us back to community, yeah. being being physically present with each other.
1: So this is what I want to talk to you about uh, right before we were about to start. You know, I'm thinking of community as a simple translation of the term sangha. Um, you were thinking it could be, or or maybe couldn't. It could go either way. Maybe community did mean sangha. Maybe it didn't. Um, but I do feel like, I mean, you know, not that COVID is over, there's all these different other illnesses going on, but we're clearly, you know, even before the pandemic, there are all these, uh, criticisms of Dharma communities, you know, um, sometimes they weren't super friendly, sometimes they weren't super inclusive, um, you know i experienced different dharma communities the interdependence project sometimes checking in with the zen community sometimes checking in with a uh, insight community and then you know shambhala community being the core one and that that community really i mean shambhala center still exists on the local level to some degree um but so many people who are in that community kind of it it, it collapsed you know as a global community that people had issues with, but it it collapsed. And then kind of right as that was happening, there was also this intensified interest in Dharma Mm. community or Sangha. uh, Mm. And then the pandemic hit, you know, and and so everybody started doing things online. Dharma Moon, you know, kind of has blown up as this online Dharma training and, you know, just kind of, Uh, Sometimes training and then sometimes hanging out with each other, community, um, and entirely in that span of time. So now I do feel like, I mean, uh, I'm not going to make any gaffes and say COVID is over. Like, please, please get your next booster shot and, you know, uh, continue to protect yourself and others. But we are starting to move into this post-pandemic world. um, And people really want community you know, and it feels like it's been lost and some people have never found it. And Mm -hmm. like, so what is, I mean, how did the Dharma moon community come about? We've talked about this a little bit, but I'm just wondering, like, because, because it could be, you could just view it as like, we started doing these really well run meditation teacher trainings, uh, which I do highly recommend people check out if they're interested in that. Um, but kind of out of that evolves a sense of like a community, like people who care about oh, yeah. each other, keep up no, with def- each other. Definitely.
0: Well, it 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 arose organically out of the fact that this was happening. It was the traveling, it was a picnic. It was a traveling feast for decades. You know, that that Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training course started, I started doing it Om Yoga in the mid-90s. So for oh, 25 years at least, that course and it's evolved and it's been developed, you know, uh, you know, some, uh, of course, since then uh, with various other people contributing to that. And also, um, but it was just me going around and, and did various yoga studios and, and wherever, you know, uh, and so I was physically traveling six months a year, probably at that point. And, uh, and, then all of a sudden and then we affiliated with tibet house which was a great thing and we actually got tibet house set up with a sound system where we were going to try to integrate music and you know some kind of uh, feasting and you know you know a creative uh zone with it and then we had our upcoming teacher training program coming up and the pandemic slammed shut it was not a it was not like a crossfade it was a slam and then I just talked to Beate over at Tibet house and we said, we got to go online and do this or we're not over out of business and we're not doing it. And <clears throat> she said I just I just leapt at it. I just she, she said I have I, I, all the people around just didn't hesitate about it. And we had you know a group of people it's worth mentioning Rebecca Danafrio who's the program director at Dharma Moon and she just jumped on board and kind of helped orchestrate and and, and build it out. Very important. And a lot of other people just kind of, gosh, it just rem- reminded me of the, the days I'm used to where people, you know, it's like a jam session. People just bring their instrument along and they, and they play together. So I felt like uh, it evolved out of a natural, organic thing. Fortunately, Zoom was already a thing. I don't know who did who orchestrated Zoom to be ready for a takeoff. Maybe maybe Zoom orchestrated the pandemic Zoom let, let the virus release. Here's a conspiracy theory so that they could grow their company.
1: <laughs> you can't even kid around like that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, everybody. Um, I, I do. I do, wasn't there. There was a thing where several of the senators were were briefed that the pandemic was coming and was going to be worse than we thought in maybe January or February and did buy stock portfolios that i think included zoom oh my uh, gosh i i know there was a briefing of yeah. of senators um yeah. i think that included the old republican senator from georgia <sighs> so we're, yeah we're so
0: quick to imply yeah I, let's be clear about it uh assumes a great company and they're that's what's enabling us to have this conversation yeah yeah um, but but you know obviously when anything good happens you know i saw an ai on tv the other day and the on the, um, lisa ling you know that show that she has on cnn mm. and the ai just went and, and she just jumped because it was so lifelike yeah and uh, you know so everything that comes up is going to have the light and the dark side and and um and i think i can easily recognize both of those in myself you know as, as like things which sort of you you want to optimize the benefit for yourself as an as a single person, uh, which is the definition of ego, really, in a way, or greed. It's you want it to be good for you. You don't really care how it is for anybody else, and you don't even care how it really is, which is as you've pointed out, interdependent. You're the guy who wrote the interdependence, um, <clears throat> you know, the Declaration of Interdependence, which is um, you're you're the one who flipped actually in my humble opinion um dna aside instead of talking about egolessness you talked about the flip side of it the same thing is interdependence but it's so much more positive a way of looking at it
1: yeah and i i don't think i'm Mm -hmm. the the first one to do that I, i have talked about this when i was one of the uh teachers interviewed in the um first issue i was about to say episode but issue of of the lion's roar magazine talked about sort of why the dharma speaks often in negating language um uh you know what isn't there you know no self no phenomenon no right. permanence etc right. um you know um speaking in more affirmative language about what is there beyond you know. misconception you know and I, I think that's also why Chokim Trungpa started with basic goodness rather than starting with dukkha, mm-hmm. more affirmative language. And interdependence, I want to say, I you know, I wrote I wrote that from kind of an urban perspective. But I would say the first modern teacher to really emphasize that, although he called it interbeing, uh, uh, is Thich Nhat sure. Hanh. You know, and, sure. and, and Thich Nhat Hanh had a habit of taking... Uh, basically every Buddhist teaching that was about, it's not this, it's not that, it's not this. And starting with framing, what, what is it? You know, he does that Mm -hmm. with the, he calls the five precepts, the five mindfulness uh, Mm -hmm. trainings. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And it's, you know, it's, it's the care for life rather than refrain from taking life. Right. It's the promoting conscious consumption rather than, uh, You know don't engage in intoxication or whatever
0: yeah yeah so you're right to credit him for that and um right right there you know with with pema as being a like a a major broadcaster of of the sort of the kinds of dharmas that are going to survive and do well yeah because they're so human and they're so positive in their thrust but it is true that like there's some advantage sometimes of pulling the rug out, uh, because people get very ensconced, you know what I mean? So, so like impermanence is, is such a great contemplation to just let it be. It's not permanent. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that thing you're doing, it's not permanent. It's not, it doesn't exist substantially anywhere. You know, it doesn't. So there's a benefit. I think that both, both ways of talking about it, but, um, it's been mistaken for nihilism, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah. By a lot of people, including the
1: Pope and people like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's been mistaken for nihilism and also it's just like, how much positive, it, it's also a question of what works, you know? So, so do we, does our practice flourish in, you know, with the sword of wisdom cutting through misconceptions mm-hmm. or does our practice flourish with the kind of loving kindness and validation, you know, and it's,
0: yeah,
1: it's, it's some of both. I I would say it's 80% validation, 20% cutting through. And, you know, there's this term toxic positivity where it's all validation to the point where Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nothing gets cut through. And um, I don't know if it's nihilistic. It's just like very, very harsh. It's it almost leads Mm -hmm. to a worldview of everything is empty. If there's no self, Like what is there to look forward to kind of, you know, where is there, where, where's the icing on the cake kind of, or where's the, Mm -hmm. where's the cake and. um... (laughs) Where's the cake. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's sweet. I mean, you know, and I, you know, I hang out where, what am I doing here
1: in Maui of all places? I'm playing Kirtan with Krishnadas. Which is a very affirmative, right? There's not a lot of cutting through that happens there.
0: Well, he, you know,
1: he, he's unique in that way that he can be quite crusty and, and kind
0: of, you know, he, he's tough in a way, KD, you know, but, but the, I the mean, doctrine, the ceremony
1: of Kirtan
0: is very, the doctrine of it is just really, uh, you know, love, um, is, uh, you know, um, is, uh, love and a sense of connection and grace they they emphasize this element of grace which is that you can try as hard as you want to get wherever you want to go i mean one thing that katie says that I, if you're practicing you could be like on a train that is heading towards the station and you're running on the train in the opposite direction you're still going to get to the station there's some notion of grace or you know maybe you could say higher powers or uh, things like that which are um it, it's not all you just managing and manipulating your consciousness to the point where it turns into something uh you know holistic there's some sense of surrender devotion so i've been saying for years that their perspective here is more similar to to us as vajrayana practitioners in some sense than either of us is to the lower yanas and and that's you know, when they're talking about devotion and surrender, I, I have a reference point for that, that, you know, uh, that's not really talked about in Theravada and Buddhism and not really talked about in Mahayana that much. Yes. Right. Mm. That, that, and, and it's something I, I think about Eith, because in, in our tradition, there is a link with living beings, you know, that, that are teachers. Um, so, for example, I feel graced by having met some of these great Tibetan masters of the last century and having a very strong, um, you know, sense of tasting what it's like when somebody is really accomplished and really realized like firsthand. And, um, that's, that's been a marker in my, in my path. Um, so, and I think it's similar, like, you know, KD met his guru, um, Neem Karoli Baba and Ramdas, and they were just convinced that something, uh, beyond their small view was uh, not only possible, but inevitable. Yeah. Um, so it's it's heartwarming for me. And and um the people here are huggy and they they hug a lot and they love each other and you know uh and then they always have the Buddhist teachers here too, which is which was part of Ramdas's um generosity and also comprehensiveness. So the right like Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman are here this week. Sharon Salzberg's been here, Bob Thurman's been here, and um then they also mix in some yoga for people who wanna, you know, practice yoga. It's um I think this kind of gathering is the bomb, actually. It would be good if the Buddhists open up their house a little bit wider and included other other traditions and other things and music and you know, you know we're trying to do that a little bit, you know, not just have it all be so hardcore. Yeah. More big Maha community. Yeah, Maha community, Maha Sangha.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well that that does seem like the right that 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 it, it does feel like the other approach to Sangha, which is this sort of like closed house, you know, that you have to enter and you have to, you know, the, the Buddha did that one, because he was kind of world avoidant and he really felt like the monastic Sangha had to be uh, separated from the, 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 both the status structures and the desires, social structures of desire in the world. But it it does create this sort of like not like otherizing, right? And um, it does feel like some kind of dharma sangha. Is like I would say this about Shambhala is that there was this sense of not not like don't talk to anybody who's outside at all, but sort of like yeah. this is a separate thing. We don't we don't mix you know super easily with others. Yeah. We don't we don't dilute the forms. You know that, that, yeah those. Things that you're talking about would have been considered some kind of dilution, I think, a lot of times in the Shambhala community. Um
0: I can tell you for sure it wasn't meant
1: to be that way, as far as
0: I'm concerned.
1: Yeah. Although that,
0: that was not the vision of it that I that I got inspired by and, and tried to follow up on. What I'm doing now with Dharma Moon is much closer to what I understood. The the you know, in fact, I mean Chung Remember said that the way the Dharma was going to spread in the West was through culture yeah the music and things like that, and I believe that you know you you gather people together um and then you know introduce the idea of some practices but uh and and look, if you go deep into something, obviously it becomes a little more cloistered that just isn't if you're gonna do a three year retreat, you don't
1: do that with everybody on planet earth you you do that with twelve people you know yeah and it's and it's helpful in that sense to cloister right if you view it as a period of training right right. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and even culturally, it's helpful. But you know, the big picture is so compelling these days, and and the idea of interdependence. I'm so glad that you you know you uh, rebroadcast that message because, uh, and you even hear Bill Clinton talking about interdependence. You know, remember that he was talking about interdependence at one point. Yeah, yeah, and you go like that would be a cool message for people to get out there, and it's not a woke you know kind of cliched thing it's like actually a true thing and like what's happening when you said the pandemic is almost over look at china with zero covid policy and all, all my dear friends in japan they're maxed out on covid again it's not over yeah and you know so the interdependent part would open people's hearts and minds if they could just see that um but it 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 it's it's a death blow to the ego and recognition of interdependence
1: don't mm-hmm. you think yeah yeah it's a it's a death blow to the ego and it's also a death blow to a lot of the ways that we're taught in in the west or in just modern life that the, the importance of the individual you know um you know and like you look like at, at somebody who's who's i think always was a somewhat complicated figure has become a very complicated figure like Elon Musk, like he's actually said my my worldview is individualism, you know and he wants politicians who promote that worldview. And you get what he's going for in the sense like that the individual can accomplish great things and and there's you know, I, I think some of the people, you know, Thich Nhat Han was a great individual, you know, but he's the one who's saying, we're all interdependent, and I do think that worldview that the individual above all else—it uh, has very little to do with personal freedom or expression. In fact, the, the, the same people who promote individualism often are the ones who want to stop other other ways of being in individuals as well. And then mm. so, um, and that's an interesting irony. But I do think that view—that is the, a really good point. The, the hyper importance of the individual, uh, it, you know, has to be – that view is pro- highly problematic from, from a dharmic standpoint. Well, so Ethan, you said something in your class last
0: night that I thought was so seminal that it, it – it, and again, you may be reiterating somebody else's commentary on this, but it doesn't matter because you voiced it and articulated it, which is Buddhism doesn't have any commentary on democracy because it wasn't fostered in democratic society for 2000 years yeah. there yeah. were no democracies exactly i mean maybe you could say greece you know at that point the greek thing experiment was going on but worldwide <clears throat> it was uh it was so the fact that that buddhism wouldn't have uh, a perspective it does as you mentioned have a perspective on kind of enlightened leadership or ruling or whatever you want but it doesn't really have any well-thought-out perspective on what de- de- democracy is, or could, or should be, and the people who are uh, right now we're at the edge, as you also mentioned, of you know slippery slope into autocracy and oligarchy. You know, and we see what it looks like. You can look all over the world and see what it looks like, and U.S. could look like that in five
1: years, and everybody knows it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's let, we took. You know, I think what happened November 8th is we didn't go over the, the precipice. Um, and uh, I'd say we took like a slight step back, you know, um, and I think we need to, uh, you know, uh, keep doing that. But it's going to take uh, a real um, the, the thing that made me made me the most hopeful was um, uh, youth participation was up. You know, um, Uh, uh, you know, I think that would be that would be the single biggest factor when you look at demographics. If people under 35 voted at the same rates that people um, over 65 vote, our entire political system, it it, there'd be about 500 AOCs, you know, and we can feel however we we want to feel uh, about that. But but it would look very different. So that that was a big step. But. Yeah, I mean I do think there's something inherently there's an inherent connection between Buddhism and democracy which is the belief that all beings possess the same uh potential and basic goodness and therefore that leads to some sense of wanting to include everybody you know within mm-hmm. that there's different ways that the hierarchies need to be played sure. out right there's different models of parenting there's different models Mm. of running compassionate organizations but that basic view that everybody's voice in some way needs to be heard and everybody needs to be valued uh mm. with, within a community uh i think is something that you would it would and by, be- and by the way that can happen that can happen in a in a monarchy too
0: that can and has happened in a monarchy it's a monarchy doesn't necessarily mean like repression and 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 you know it can gravitate towards that for sure yeah I I think you can see examples of tribal cultures and things like that, where where those things are in play, but there is a chief,
1: you know? Yeah. Well, those, those tend to be, yes, exactly. Those tend to be smaller. Uh, There, there tends to be. uh, Bred into the principles of leadership. You know, that's not, it's not like Donald Trump was the the head of any, (laughs) it's a totally different, it's, it's harvesting the wisdom of councils, etc. So, so there's yeah, a totally right. different that the the chief figure or the queen or the king figure have a totally different um, yeah. training about them, like a totally different worldview. It's not this view of like you know strongest guy gets to yeah, the top and then right. tells everybody else how it is. You know,
0: yeah, and there there has to be a notion of service that's baked in and compassion, and yeah, th- those are. Those have to be cultivated at the individual level for everybody. There's no way around it and nobody can hold that for the whole group. It's like, you know, Atlas holding up the world. Everybody has to hold up a piece of it. I don't know where we're going. I think about you and I think about Izzy and I think about the future and I think I probably won't be in it, you know, um, in this form, you know. So uh, I think, you know, I'm trying to like nudge the future a little bit in my own way.
1: What's your next book? <laughs> Merge the future,
0: <laughs> you know, with some of the you know kind of um, powerful teachings that we have access to, that we've had access to, which help you tame your own mind for starters, <clears throat> and be a more compassionate person for seconds, and for thirds, um, you know, um, really, really take off the the uh, the shades and look directly at what it is, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to end. I want to encourage everybody to check out dharmamoon.com, whether you're interested in uh, our expanded year-long Buddhist studies program, whether you're, uh, it's a really great uh, mindfulness meditation teacher training. There's great uh, open gatherings and and talks. Um, David's podcast, David's book, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck. Um, uh, which, with inflation, is now making a dollar fifty. Um,
0: <laughs> you know that making a buck is because that's how much a deer used to cost. That's, that's it's, a pre- it's a
1: pretty it's pretty awful expression when you when you when you break that down. That's where it came from.
0: But but also in that light, you know, I don't know exactly when this is going to air, but on December twentieth, there's an info session for your upcoming year, both year long Buddhist studies course. We have two of them. And um, we're getting, you know, tremendous uh, response of that, to that. So if you go to, just go to darmoon.com and check it out, there's that program. And then we have a teacher training program that starts in March. So uh, we're trying to keep um, people getting onto the Dharma Wheel and also going deeper, I would say, is kind of our goal. And uh, it's been really fun to do it together, I've Just, uh, you know, this is uh, this kind of conversation. You just can't ask for life to get better than this as far as I'm concerned. Well, you can
1: you can go to the beach now. Uh okay. We'll do I, I'm I have to go to the grocery store and it's forty-one degrees and cold. So okay, I mean, well, it's, it's, I'm kidding. It's too hot here. It's very uncomfortable. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's uncomfortable. It's horrible. Um <laughs> <laughs> you should have done you should have done this whole podcast like sipping a pina colada. Um uh well anyway, uh David Nickturn, thank you so much. And uh lots of love and uh get home safe uh come to dinner with me and and Izzy and uh uh and uh let let her climb on top of you and uh so yeah and we'll be back soon that uh info session i want to say there's 1 december 20th and 1 january 10th both uh tuesday nights 3 weeks apart uh the program begins at the end of january so
0: Anyway, and you can moisture. take, you can
1: take the modules by the,
0: you can take six week modules without signing for the whole year. Everybody should know that because that's, that's a, that's a good option for somebody who wants to get, get their beak wet.
1: Yeah. Moist. <clears throat> get their beak moist. Yeah. Okay. There you go. We'll end on that note. Okay. Uh, so for the Road Home Podcast, this is Ethan Nickturn. Thank you, David. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next time.